You're listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto Podcast, where you'll learn advanced strategies, tactics, and tips for actually selling your music. If you'd like to learn more music marketing strategies, then go to musicmarketingmanifesto.com. That's musicmarketingmanifesto.com. And sign up for your free copy of the Music Marketing Blueprint. Now, here's your host, John Ojaka. All right, yeah, John Ojaka here, and thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast. This is episode number 24, starting to stack up. Uh, I don't I do not do these podcasts uh, all that often, or at least I don't stick to any kind of specific schedule, which I think I'm about to change, and we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, but, I, but I release them from time to time, and 24, you know, that's starting to sound like uh, a good chunk of podcasts. Anyway, uh, today we're going to be speaking with Ariel Hyatt. Now, uh, many of you uh, should know Ariel. She's been around in this space, in the sort of indie music marketing PR space for uh, quite some time. Uh, she's a good friend. We've worked on a number of projects together and uh, a sharp cookie uh, who, again, you know, knows her stuff. So we're going to be talking with her about uh, her, her company, Cyber PR, but more importantly, we're going to be talking about branding. We're going to talk about how you can develop that hook, or as she calls it, that nugget, and then ultimately distill that into a brand. Now, of course, branding, and you know, I know... I know it's not the sexiest word in the world, especially to uh, all us creative people who tend to be more creative minded than business minded. But the reality is that the brand is important. It's the shortcut to the mind that ultimately makes our marketing effective. And, uh, you know, I've certainly said it before, but without a well-defined brand, your marketing is just not going to work. And I I think that's pretty true. Uh, There are certainly people who luck their way through it. But in the case of virtually every successful artist that I've ever seen, there is a brand. There are some uh, simply some some rules that define who and what this individual is and what tribe they ultimately lead or represent. And, and that's all we're really talking about. But it becomes challenging for many artists who are sitting there going, OK, I, I understand these direct to fan marketing concepts that you're talking about, John, and I understand uh, or yeah, at least, you know, I'm buying into this idea that the brand is in fact important, but I don't know where to start because I'm not approaching it that way. I'm, I'm just a musician who is creating songs. I'm not thinking about brands. So, so how do I start applying this process or developing these instincts that are in no way intuitive to me? I think that's the question and that's the concern that a lot of musicians have. And so, well, I asked Ariel if she'd join us on this podcast to talk about that very subject and point all of us in the right direction when it comes to branding because it's been coming up a lot in the Insider Circle uh, uh, forum, uh, in questions and comments, and in the new uh, course, Music Marketing Manifesto 4.0. It's not that new uh, anymore. It came out a few months ago, uh, but it's it's probably been the number one question or at least the area that generates the most questions is, okay, well, what do I do uh, for my, my USP or my brand? How do I... How do I develop that? So we're going to talk about that. But before we do, uh, just a couple of things. One, I wanted to remind everyone, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, the Music Marketing Manifesto 4.0 is now live and open to the public. Uh, it opens, uh, it, it opened its doors. Is that proper English? I, 
<laughs> the doors were open to the program a couple of months ago. Uh, you can learn more about it by going to musicmarketingmanifesto.com and clicking on products and services. And from the drop down there, you should see uh, uh, an option that says MMM 4.0 course. Now, uh, obviously, the course uh, or in the course, I teach you, I give you basically an over the shoulder look at how to create a direct to fan marketing funnel. Now, these are the same funnels that I've used to help numerous artists achieve numerous uh, chart positions on Billboard and iTunes and Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And, and one artist uh, was recently nominated for a Grammy using these strategies. And uh, without a doubt, 2017 was the year of MMM artists landing on various billboard charts. Had a lot of successes this year. And this is the new program that will show you how to set up a direct-to-fan marketing funnel. And I've already heard from countless artists who've gone through the program and have achieved success with it. You know, many artists selling music on their own with no help from a label or manager for the first time in their career. Um, and it's pretty cool to, you know, to hear. So check it out if you haven't already and uh, see, you know, see, see what you think. See if it's right for you. One other final thing that I, I guess I want to ask uh, for your help with is that if you like this podcast, can you do me a favor? Head on over to iTunes uh, and leave a rating and review. Those things, they really help. They help attract listeners and uh, more listeners means more podcast episodes. So if you could do that for me, take just a moment, hit pause, head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Uh, certainly, I'd appreciate it. I think that's it for the boring stuff. Uh, now, I think it's time to have a little chat about branding with Ariel Hyatt from Cyber PR. Ariel, thanks for being on the call. I'm so excited to be with you always. Awesome. Well, you are one of the the true sort of veterans in the space. I kind of see myself as a bit of a veteran in the space, but you've been around uh, longer than I have. So I came in around 2009. Tell everyone listening, you know, who you are, what you do. Um, you, you've made a, a pretty big mark on the independent music community, for lack of a better word. I have been around. <laughs> it's amazing. I don't know how all this time passed. I did start my company um, in 1996. So wow. it was at the time called Ariel Publicity because I had been working at a record label and then at a concert promotion company. And very few of my colleagues listened to my ideas because I was a 22-year-old girl. Right. Um, and I thought, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to name it after myself. So Ariel Publicity <laughs> was um, founded in 1996, and I was a traditional publicist and doing everything we know the old school PR world to be, typing up press releases and calling journalists and sending out faxes. Um, and then, of course, as the digital space started becoming the thing, um, I took my company digital a little bit before you launched, so 2008, and I wrote my first book, Music Success in Nine Weeks, which talked about using the internet. It, there, so social media wasn't even really a term yet. Right. Um, at 2007, I think, actually, it was the first publication of Music Success in Nine Weeks. And I, for many years, um, was the little pod piper for everybody should come and try this Twitter and <laughs> get on Facebook and all that. Um, and, you know, luckily, everything's caught up now. So now I run a digital PR firm. So we still have our roots in PR. And we do social media strategy. We help artists um, with marketing plans and with planning their careers because there's hundreds of 
publicists and marketers and people that can do your Facebook ads, but there's very few people that have the depth and breadth of what I know, which is how to look at the full picture. So I'm really proud of this. We do integrated marketing plans and we talk about everything from how to tell your story so that it's relatable, which is step one. And then from there, we go on to helping our artists with all things, making their social media look amazing, making sure their marketing is tight, their branding is great, because those are all the things you need to do, of course, after you have good music, before you start adding on PR or advertising or any of the other things that you could do with your career. Sure, sure. I think when people hear PR, and obviously the company is Cyber PR, uh, when people hear PR, they think, oh, I hire you and you're going to make me famous. Um, one, obviously, as we know, that that's not true <laughs> at all in any, you know, of any uh, publicity agent that's not really their their job but um, two, your company does something a bit different you want to talk a, a bit about how your model is different than the traditional PR company yeah so our model is really about looking at everything and that's one thing that you know if you hire a publicist you're hiring them for their PR expertise and they're supposed to get you publicity right. just like if you hire a radio promoter they're supposed to get you radio plays they're not supposed to ask you about your relationship to licensing or coach you on your brand but we actually do that right. so cyber PR is a meeting point between social media marketing and PR um, and that's what we're known for. If you just want a publicist, there's a whole lot of other people to call. That's not what we're interested in. We really pride ourselves on being thinking partners with our clients and rolling up our sleeves with them and going, okay, what's your goals? Do you want to tour in Europe or did you want to get on podcasts or were you thinking of maybe getting your music license somewhere or, you know, everybody's got a different vision for what they want to see for themselves. It's it's not a cookie-cutter approach. Right, right. And tell me if this is accurate or not. My impression of the company, of your company, and what you do is sort of take that raw material that I think every artist brings to the table and help maybe polish it up a bit, repackage it so that uh, the avenues that you ultimately need to accomplish your goals, as you just kind of described, are, are available to you. Because I think I think musicians miss a lot. They, they've got the great song and um, they might even have a great story buried in there. But if they're just coming to the table and being asked um, in the proverbial sense, you know, so what do you do? Uh, then, then you just kind of get this, oh, well, I, I write great songs answer 90% of the time. I, I'm constantly surprised by how few musicians really uh, know how to communicate what it is that's special about their music. So my impression is that you guys really help refine that and, and isolate, create, develop that brand, not just so that there is a story there, but so that the again, the, the goals that they are ultimately trying to achieve, uh, or that path is available to them. Is that fair? That is fair and true. And I just want to add a little something to people that are bristling in their seats listening to this. <laughs> it's not about, there's two different conversations here. And I always like to go back to Derek Sivers because he wrote this brilliant article years ago about, you know, why are you creating music? if you're creating music because it's your vision and you love it and it's just sheer expression of who you are and it's your, your art, that's totally fine. 
and you can do it however you want to do it. If you want to have a 20-minute jam that's that's like psych rock, that's all acoustic, that's amazing. Don't expect to put it on the Friday playlist at Spotify because that's not what's getting played there. So what we do, and, and that, 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 all that that you just referenced, we help artists understand that you have to sometimes make edits, make concessions, um, put a little bit of more, a little more of this or that into what it is you're doing if you want to attract those people. Right. So if you want to get on uh, a lot of music blogs, for example, you have to have a shortened intro to your track. You got to get straight to a, a hook and a bridge pretty quickly because there's a lot of bloggers that are inundated with hundreds, if not thousands of submissions a week. And if you don't catch them in the first 10 seconds or five seconds, they're moving on to the next. So it's not about, you're right. You can't just come at it with like, here's my vision. You have to come at it with, this is what sells. Like when I hired my graphic designer who designs book covers, I had a vision for my book cover and they said, well, business books are actually mostly yellow. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so we made the cover yellow. And I, you have to be agreeable and malleable if you're going to work with someone like me. Right, right. I'm making notes here. Business books are yellow. <laughs> I need to remember that one. Um, yeah, they are. And like, it's like, also like, and album covers look a certain way. Like if you, if you, if you want to be on like a hipster indie rock blog, you know, you should go and look at those blogs and look at the type of artwork that's getting featured. Don't just make up artwork that you like because you like it. Look at what the aesthetic is and like what's getting trendy right now. And my favorite example for that, if, if y'all want to see like a classic classic way that an artist is being adaptable look at john mayer look at his most recent album artwork it looks exactly like the music bloggers want it to look it doesn't look like the john mayer that we all grew up on right. it's a different world now and so it's not he didn't change his sound you you know you can get that album it sounds like john mayer we're not going to be shocked or surprised or he didn't like do some crazy you know, genre change, but it looks different and it looks different because it has to appeal to a new school of music bloggers yeah. who are not old school rock journalists, which is right. who was writing about him when he started. Right. So you're saying he's kept his story, uh, similar enough to, or related enough to the story that journalists are ultimately interested in telling at, at this time. Is that fair? A hundred percent. Very cool. But you have to look, yeah, you just have to look at the aesthetic. Sure. You change your aesthetic if you want to match what's what's happening. Makes sense, makes sense. And, you know, beyond the brand development, you guys also do traditional, or some, uh, I shouldn't say traditional because it's not exactly traditional, but you do PR. You also help sort of with the marketing. You know, we talk a lot about how branding pulls and marketing pushes. Not only do you pull, but you also have services that push, correct? That's right. Exactly. And what kind of um, stuff are you doing along those lines? I know you do PR, but it's digital PR as opposed to going after traditional media. Is that right? It is right. And I, a lot of us, you know, a lot of people still call me and say, well, do you get magazine press and newspapers? And I want to say, like, have you read a music <laughs> magazine lately? Because, right. 
you know, Paste doesn't publish anymore and Spin doesn't publish anymore. And if you've gotten Rolling Stone lately, it's razor thin. And if you get Vanity Fair, it's there's literally one paragraph by Lisa Robinson every month that talks about new musicians. If you get GQ, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of major magazine outlets anymore. It's so depressing and sad. Everything's online. So um, it's very expensive to get traditional PR to focus on old school magazines and newspapers and especially television. So we are digital and we focus on blogs and podcasts. Spotify playlists, SoundCloud playlists, these are all things in the digital PR domain. Right, right. And I don't know about you, but I find there's just infinitely more value there, especially if you are a musician who's built an online presence or funnel for themselves. I remember uh, doing some work for a client years back, and this this is a while ago when, when traditional media still had more power uh, than it does now. And he had a news, uh, he had an interview on ABC News, and he got to pitch the squeeze page where we were giving away some free music. So I thought, oh man, I'm going to have to increase the server capacity. We're going to just get 2000 people all hitting, hitting the site at once. So I, I literally increased the server capacity, sat there just to make sure nothing, you know, fried. And I think we got three subscribers, you know, a, maybe a dozen people landed on the site, like nothing basically, because it wasn't, it, nothing. it, it I, wasn't yeah. one click yep. away. That's right. I was on Oprah. <laughs> Oprah. Yeah. We all know who Oprah yeah. is. 40 million viewers and one person called me. Crazy. One. And what's hilarious is it was a musician's mom who watched Oprah. <laughs> right, right. And I was dying. She was like, you have to meet my son. I was like, I can't believe I was on <laughs> Oprah and no one called me. Right. What? And you could have probably spent, you know, uh, in your case, $10 on advertising or something like that to pull in, pull in one of those phone calls, if not less. Um, and same thing for those, totally. for those dozen clicks I could have, you know, spent about a buck, you know, and meanwhile, meanwhile, his publicist was charging him, you know, $3,000 a month for that kind of thing. Anyway. Um, so you, you've been up to a lot. Um, you've, you've recently written a book. Um, tell us about that. So my new book is called social media tune up and it came from talking to artists at every level that would come to me going, I don't think this whole social media thing is working for me. I'm exhausted. I'm on it all day. I'm, it's slowly working, but it's not working very effectively. Or many artists weren't even saying that. They were just saying, I hate this. Can you make this go away? Or can you do this for me? Or um, I haven't really paid attention to this. So I created a system, which is social media, tune up, and it takes you through whichever platforms you feel like you need a little love to focus on. So obviously Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I even have LinkedIn in there um, and so on. And we go through each, we go through each page and we have a check sheet and you go down the line and you can look at what's working versus what's not working. And so you take yourself through a series of exercises and then I've got tune-up tips so that you can optimize every single social media platform. Cool. And what, and what platforms do you cover? We cover Facebook pages, Twitter, Instagram. We look at LinkedIn. 
we actually talk about some different mobile options because a lot of times we forget that there's a whole mobile world and you should absolutely be paying attention to it. Um, And then we even look at um, things that feel, well, obviously YouTube, Periscope, Snapchat. Um, We talk about your website because that's your online home and that's where you should establish yourself. Um, And so is that optimized? And then we go into the boring things that a lot of artists blaze over when I start talking about, like your email newsletter. And then we also, um, even before you get into tuning up everything, we ask, who are you talking to? Who is your audience? Who is your ultimate person? Because I think a lot of the reason why people don't rock their social media is they don't actually know who they're talking to. They want to talk to just everyone. Right. You know, so many people call me and I say, well, how can I help you? You know, what are you looking for? And they say, well, I'm looking for the most exposure possible. I want the most amount of people to, to know me and love me and get, and I, that's a great attitude. But the truth is, if you actually knew who to talk to, like, for example, I, I want to talk to women between the ages of 25 and 30 because that's my sweet spot where I want to talk to dudes that love video games and are super nerds or whatever it is, then you actually will have a better shot at tuning everything up and getting your brand focused. But I think when we hear these crazy statistics, like 2 billion people are on Facebook, we immediately think we need to be speaking to 2 billion people every time we post something, which is absolutely not true. Right, right. Well, um, you know, one of the things that you and I were talking about before we started recording was, again, going back to branding, is the fact that I, I deal. So, you know, my my wheelhouse is marketing. That's I'm I'm the marketing nerd guy. I like I like creating these marketing systems and really trying to boil it down to some equation or math. And that's that's my strong suit. And while I do focus on branding and I'm pretty good at showing you how to uh, isolate and and target your ideal fan, really developing that instinct to to understand who you are as an artist is, you know, I have exercises and it's something I do help with. uh, I do help people with, but it's probably not my strongest suit. And I, I, you know, from knowing you and even just from our conversation today, I do get the sense that that is a, a very strong suit for you. So what just so we can give people some uh, applicable information, something that they can run with today. What what would you advise, or how would you help an artist who comes to the table and says, you know, that they they've embraced this direct to fan marketing kind of strategy that both of us um, teach and are focused on, but they're saying. You know, but I don't really know what kind of music I make. I don't know how to even begin. I get your the the concept of targeting my ideal fan, but uh, I don't understand who my ideal fan is because I don't understand what kind of music I make. Uh, and I, it surprises me to hear it, but I do. You know, it's a small minority, but I do wrestle with this a lot, where people are coming into the program going, I just don't know what it is that is special about me. I don't know what kind of music I make. I I love doing what I do. I think the music is good, but I just don't know the first word to use to start describing this to other people. So what exercise or tips can you give that musician who is at the very, very beginning of this branding process and and doesn't know where to even begin to distill who they are into some kind of a concept so they can start targeting those ideal fans and, and the rest of it? The first question you want to ask yourself is, 
what am I trying to achieve? What am I trying to achieve? Meaning a great story will connect to, I mean, obviously I think everybody's trying to achieve more listens, more likes, more people to be more relatable, to, to be more appealing. Right. Sure. So now that we have that question out of the way, a great signature story needs to include an interesting nugget that people can recount. And I think what happens is we get focused not on nuggets, but on epic sagas. Like I need to tell that I started playing piano when I was three and then I went to Berkeley and that, you know, whatever, like people tend to like go into this classical bio, sort of like a resume. Like I opened for these 47 musicians and I was in 16 bands or, you know, they want to tell the whole story of their whole life, which is a very old school way of looking at a bio. Because that's kind of the way that it used to be. When I started, there was these two page, single space, you know, typewritten bios. And you would literally start with the birth of the artist and go all the way up to the release. Now, if you think about like what captivates you when you're watching any television commercials or a TED talk, or if you follow, it's very important to follow the gurus, um, which I know you do. Um, if you look at like a Tony Robbins or um, an Alexandria Brown or a Gabby Bernstein, every single one of these people that you might follow, they all have this nugget. So everybody's got the nugget. Um, Tony Robbins was, he was living in that, tiny apartment with only a, a little hot plate. He didn't even have a stove. Um, Alexandria Brown's big story is she you know, went to her ATM one night and she tried to um, take out $20 and there was, she couldn't even do that. She right. didn't even have, you know, she had to go to the ATM that had $10. Um, anyway, there's, it's very interesting how this works. So, Instead of focusing on the big picture and your genius and you went to Juilliard and you got a scholarship or you, you know, something crazy, think about what is a tiny, memorable nugget. And that's the thing. The little nugget is the thing that people are going to take away. They're going to go, you know, this kid was you know, loving art as a young person and he saw Miles Davis and it changed his life. Or I think about one of my artists, Renny Lopez, who's, he was my hero when I was a teenager and I used to follow him around New York city because I'm born and raised here in New York. I literally would like get on any train I could get to, to see this musician play, like, because I was a city kid and have a car. And Renny Lopez was this dynamic He was gorgeous, still is gorgeous. He was gorgeous to me when I was a teenager. All my teenager friends, we would go and see this band called The Authority. And Randy Lopez, we fast forward 20 years, calls me up and he's like, can you work for me? And I'm hyperventilating on the floor because A, I can't (laughs) believe he called me, but B, I'm reading his bio. And it's going through what I'm talking about. You know, Randy Lopez was born and then he did this and that and we're going through the 80s and the 90s and it's too much. And I realize like, no one is going to want to read all this, right? They just want to kind of get to the nugget. So the nugget for Rennie that we identified was Rennie's dad played in Tito Puente's band. He was, he was a amazing uh, percussion player as Rennie is. And Rennie remembers being a child standing in the wings at some of the biggest and most important music venues in New York City, like Radio City. And he remembers watching his dad when he was eight or nine years old 
playing percussion. And he remembers thinking, that's what I want to do. Right. And that's the nugget. Like, it's just a moment. It's like this tiny moment when an eight or nine-year-old person decides what they want to be for the rest of their lives. And we could go on and say that he played with the roots and he did this and he opened for that and he was featured here and there and there's a lot of story and he got signed, blah, blah, blah. But really, the moment is that moment. And everybody has that moment and it doesn't have to be some sort of revelatory. I mean, that's even amazing. Like, not everybody's dad is playing sure. in Radio City Music Hall, right? But if you can just... Find a moment, and it doesn't have to be some, I was starving to death and I heard a song, I was living in a car. You know, you don't have to do any of that. Yeah. You just have to find the thing that people are going to shut their computer off. They're going to go about their life. They're going to look at 7,000 more tweets and 600 more Facebook posts and 500 more stupid Instagrams. And what are they going to want to take away from you? So is it that you have really cool tattoos? Is it that you're a single mom? Is it that you're a vegan? Is it that you realize that moment in your life where music was the thing that was going to save you? You pick your moment and put that moment in your signature story. Right. And then you can add everything else around it. But what you want your listener to walk away with is like, what's your essence and why do you do this? And why is this important to you? And what was your what was your turning point? Right, right. What, That's what a good signature story is about. What's kind of cool slash funny about that is because I'm guessing you probably haven't gone through my course, a music marketing manifesto, and it went, as I teach people to build their funnel. Um, I teach people, I, so we all have our different words. I talk about it as the blog post of a lifetime, the first piece of real content after you've sent them the free track and they've signed up and they're on, they're on your list. We need to create that bond. And I talk about it as the blog post of a lifetime. And the story that I use as my example in my own personal story, my nugget is um, very similar to the one you just referenced. It, it was sitting backstage in Hawaii, where I'm from, uh, at a 50th, 50th state fair, eating a very terrible cheeseburger and Crystal Gale was performing and I was backstage because I was roadieing for some older, cooler kids band and just kind of thought to myself, this is what, this is the life I want. I want to live behind the curtain, so to speak. I want to be on the other side of the fence from all of those people. And it crystallized for me. And that's the very story that I tell in my first share uh, with, with people who sign it to my list. So we're, we're very, very aligned there in our thinking. That's kind of cool. Um, but so, so I get all that, and I think that's really powerful, and I think that's going to get a lot of people thinking. But how do you build upon that? So we've we've isolated the nugget. Now, how do you turn that into a cohesive, coherent brand that you can start again? Going back to the push pull reference, you know, that you can start pushing with marketing. Right. So you want to ask yourself, what around that nugget is brandable? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, with Rennie, it's like should I have a cover photo that has some drums on it? Well, perhaps if like, we're going to look at you as the, the percussionist or the timbale player, you know, that's probably important. Or, you know, are you talking about something really hopeful? You know, maybe you want really bright colors to appear hopeful. Or if you're talking about the fact that you've suffered with depression or you've struggled somewhere in your life, well, then maybe your tonal range is going to be darker colors and um, more gothic fonts. I don't know. You have to really look at what coincides with that nugget. So 
that's the next step is like how do if, if I could visualize what this story is, what color would it be? What shapes would the font look like? I mean, I know this sounds like a little woo woo. No, but it makes total it's sense. Important. To me. Yeah. It's like important that if like someone is gonna look at you and go, Okay, you're the person that's you know, making happy, uplifting, fabulous, upbeat, positive music because that's who you are. Maybe music saved your life or you you were in church and you heard music for the first time. It was the only time you felt alive. I don't know. Everybody has a story, remember? Sure. So maybe you're, you've got br- a bright color scheme and you've got like a happy logo that makes people feel that way. Um, and you should study colors. Um, there's, if you Google like what do colors mean, you should look at, you know, what does orange mean? What does red mean? What happens when people look at a lot of black and red? And don't just, you know, nilly-willy choose a bunch of colors because you like them. Choose them because of how people react to them. There's so much marketing data now online, which is so cool. You know, if you're going to choose like warm, dark, tonal blues, you know, people might be feeling very mellow. And if you're trying to be very upbeat, that might be antithetical to what you're trying to do with your brand. So you definitely want to then take that nugget and figure out how do you visualize it. And I have an exercise that that can help sort of talk you through that, um, which we'll, we'll talk about. And there's a link on my website, which you're going to put on your site, but it's called the ultimate crowd ID exercise, which helps you kind of think through, like if I was going to talk to someone, what is, what is it that they would like? Um, what does my ultimate fan look like? And if you don't know that, look in the front row of your shows or look in the mirror. I think a lot of times artists tend to attract people that are like them, right? right? Sure. I mean, think about all the concerts. I love going to concerts, especially large scale concerts. Cause then you see it like on a really big level. Like you go to Billy Joel, everyone's old, you know, you go to like right. something young and hip and everyone's young and hip, or you go to some, like a cool female lead singer. She's a fashionista. You look out in the audience, everybody's like totally decked out and they look cool. All the women look cool. I remember it was about 10 years ago, but still I went to see Beyonce and there were all these like young, cool women wearing like tight, awesome, sexy outfits. Cause Beyonce is like a woman, not scared to be a woman. Sure. So I, I'm always amazed at like, you know, so think about that. Think about, you know, what's the color? What's the font? Does that match the story? Right. And then you can begin to build your brand out from there. And, and it's, um, it's much easier to do when you've got your hook, mm-hmm. because then again, you don't have to feel like you're talking to 2 billion people just talk to two people or or one person. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I wish somebody had told me this when I was, you know, 20 years old because I think that was through my major label sort of time that that was really something that was missing and I'm kind of shocked now looking back on this that no one ever talked about it. I would hear my manager sometimes sort of loosely say it's about the story. And I don't think either one of us really knew what that meant. It was just something that people would say. So he, he, he was sa- saying it as well. And I would just think, well, what's my story? And I was just this musician kid from a singer songwriter kid from Hawaii. And that's kind of all I had, but that wasn't interesting at all. And it wasn't actually until music marketing manifesto where I started studying copywriting and marketing. Um, 
And, and you know, again, this stuff isn't manipulated. It is just your story. But when somebody shines a light on it, much in the same way that you are right now, the importance of certain aspects of that story, it helps you focus in on that hook. And for me with Music Marketing Manifesto, it's that I was this major label artist who got burned pretty bad and reinvented himself and in with music marketing manifesto and um that's sort of the archetypal phoenix from the ashes story and there are a handful of archetypes that are not entirely divorced from just standard classic hollywood script writing that work in copyright copywriting um but but yeah, that was that was very much missing from my career uh, it, it, throughout its entirety. Really, um, there was just no story there, and it's a real it's a real shame that that more people don't focus on the stuff. And I like how you've laid that out, where you just visualize that nugget, that story, and then ask yourself, what color is that? Is that the environment surrounding that story and the fonts, and build that brand around that? Now, do do you tend to Put, so something I talk a bit about and some of my stuff is USP. So, you know, unique selling proposition. It's a marketing term, as, as you know, that that I've pulled over and used to apply to music. And I draw a distinction between the USP a bit and my quote unquote blog post of a lifetime. So that that initial nugget, because one is for me, well, obviously there's a lot of crossover there, but one is the story story and one is the way that I see other people are going to tell that story. Would you have any thoughts on that? Do you draw that same distinction? Um, do you see a difference between the USP? Because sometimes that that nugget is not necessarily, while it's the hook and it's the thing that pulls people in and creates that bond, it may or may not be the thing that is getting retold over and over and over again as people say you should check out so-and-so, their music, or their music, or they as a band are like, and then fill in the blank with that sentence. Do you, do you ever draw that distinction? I do. And again, I use the word nugget very intentionally. You know, sure. it's not about this is your whole story. Right, right. It's just a story that pulls the person in. That's right, it. Right. And a nugget can also be visual. Um, I, you know, I'm old and I don't like to change my reference points, but I think about like, you know, when you look at any artist that comes out and they've, they've got their branding on point, you know, you should look at, you should look at anyone that's, that's like really resonating. Cause I think it's um, important to do that. Like when you see an artist that seemingly comes out of nowhere, like, you should look at them like top artists of 2017, Google that, look at some photos, see what is popping out there. Um, and try to understand, like, I mean, I just, funny, I just Googled top artist 2017 and I'm looking at the weekend. Immediately I know who he's dating. I know what his hair looks like. I know what his voice sounds like. It like all immediately comes to me. I look at Ed Sheeran. He's got this like red hair and he's kind of pudgy and he's not that cool, but you know, he did this, he did this sort of reinvention and here comes Ariana Grande and I'm thinking about her beautiful heart and the fact that she's fearless and this horrible thing happened to her in the UK and she went right back to that country to that city weeks after a disgusting tragedy happened to her and she gave it her all and paid for everyone's funerals and then I look at Bruno Mars is the next one up and I there's this like hot Filipino dude who's like got dance moves and really inventive incredible production and and cool you know, he runs with this cool crew and then anyway you just can go down the line and every single person has 
a story, and it starts with that nugget. Taylor Swift recently stood up for women around the world who have been groped. Like, okay, she's Taylor Swift, and I know I'm talking about these huge, huge, huge celebrities, but it's like, go and look, and there will be a whole cavalcade, a waterfall of stories will begin to pour out. These are the nuggets that happen and happen and happen and happen, and it's not the same every time, right? right? When Alicia Keys came out, she was that girl in the hat, and she was amazing at the piano. Now we have this feminist, we have this woman that doesn't wear makeup, we have this woman who's a mother, who's a wife. You know, she iterates and iterates, and you don't have to stick with your nugget, right? Everybody's got a trajectory. But unless you have the nugget, ain't nobody going to (laughs) come and check you out in the first place if you're just trying to be everyone constantly. Right, right. So I think that that's, that's what's important to do is you build and you build and you build and you build as you go. But you do have to kind of start small because people don't know what to look at or how to look at. You know, they just people people have little tiny pea brains and you need to start <laughs> simply. Right, right. And then, you know, once you start and then you grow, then you can begin to add in other things. But I think, you know, if you come right out of the gate and you try to be too much or too vanilla, this is where you're going to have major, major problems. Right, right. And I guess along these lines, and this isn't sort of a trick question or or me asking you to dig deep. It's more of one with sort of tough love in mind. Where is that line of personal responsibility for the artist? And, and I guess in your shoes, uh, or, or coming from a place someone like yourself, um, uh, where where does the job of creating that brand and telling that story fall on the artist versus again someone like you or someone that they've hired? Because I run into a lot of people that just no matter how many exercises you put in front of them and they would have just heard this interview and thought to themselves, but I still don't know. Um, is this is this something that can always be judged out, um, or is there some level of personal responsibility where a person does have to dig deep and just figure out? who they are. How much of this is science and how much of this is intuition? A lot of it is, it's, this is the hardest thing to do, by the way, you know, it's very hard to just sit down and be like, what's really interesting about me? You know, don't ask your mom. (laughs) Um, You know, you have to really kind of figure that out. Right. So I think, Look, none of, I mean, not none of us, but I think very few of you out there, musicians, I'm not a musician, so I can't say us. I'm just a huge music fan. I think many people don't, they don't even think about any of this stuff, right? So I think it's not intuitive, right? And I think what's what's also very interesting, rather, is what is mundane to you might be fascinating to others. Right. And that is what you need to understand. You know, a lot of artists come kicking and screaming to my office. I don't want to post anything on social media. And that's not interesting. And I'm like, really? You live in Bushwick, Brooklyn. They're like, you're surrounded by art. You live in a loft. You're surrounded by really interesting people all day long. That's interesting to other people. You don't think it's interesting because you're doing it every day. Or, you know, anyway. So a lot of this, uh, it's very hard to write your own signature story for sure. And even if you feel like you have a nugget of a signature story, you do want to stay true to yourself. It's funny. We're working with a record label right now and we're working with an artist who 
he's a Christian man. He's, he's, he reads the Bible. He's a good human. He's done a lot with charity work. He's actually helped a lot of people, like personally helped a lot of people, like changed people's lives, like helped poor people get houses and jobs. And he's this incredible human. And the label does not want one iota of this story out in the world. They want him to be this kind of sex symbol. They don't want him to talk about any of this because they don't want him to be labeled as a a Christian artist. And I am struggling and he has shut down. I never even hear from him because what he is is too far from what they want. So I think there's always a a huge problem when you're trying to create a story that's not really in alignment with who you are. Sure. You have to be true to that. Yeah. And I, I think we're like attached to feeling like we have to be fabulous or it has to be full of so much pain or so much fantastical amazingness. You know, not everybody gets to, go on American Idol and get in front of 50 million people and get signed by Simon and boom, you know, that's not everybody's path. Not that that's what people are listening to here, but you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be, you know, I was, I was playing piano in a tiny bar and the head of Atlantic records came in and then I got signed and then boom, that's not everybody's story. A lot of people just have, I worked really hard at this and I honed this and I met fan by fan by fan and it's 10 years later and I'm making a living and that's a miracle. You know, so it doesn't have to be earth shattering, mind blowing and you do need probably a coach or someone who has an outside perspective to say, A, is this really interesting? And B, is this really true to who you are? Because you don't want to go creating some sort of weird persona that's not who you are just because you think that's what they want right sure sure um and how often or, or at all or do, you know does it even happen where somebody comes to you and uh, now I'm, I'm thinking of uh, what's his line seth godin has a, a line that he talks about you know be is it exceptional um uh, that, that you know be remarkable. be remarkable there you go so how how, how often is that the fatal flaw in a musician that's coming to you where yeah they've got a story and yeah they're making pretty decent music but there's just something unremarkable that neither they nor you can sort of drudge out of them or does that not happen is there always a way to to dig deeper and I, find a better oh, story? god this is such a good question it unfortunately happens more often than not yeah it happens more often than not that remarkable and just by the way, in case you, you haven't listened to John before, or you don't know what we're talking about. Seth Godin talks about, is it remarkable? Meaning if you play in front of five people, do all five of those people go home and tell five more people or 10 more people or 20 more people about you? That's remarkable. Right. And when you see these things, like I worked for Imagine Dragons and I worked for them way before they got signed, but they are remarkable. People would see them and a hundred people would be there the first night and 200 people would be there the second night. That's rare. And that's what you're going for. So, you know, I've, unfortunately, a lot of artists come to me and they say, well, you know, my social media just isn't that good. And I'm like, really, how many people can you draw in your hometown? And they say, well, yeah, about 20 people. Right. I'm like, okay, well, 
how often do you play? And if it's 20 people every other month for five years, you're not remarkable. Right. Sure. It You can't shine a turd. And that <laughs> that's the problem with like a lot of PR people and radio people. They'll take your money and they'll try the best they can try. But the truth is you need to have something that people are catching on to. It's, it's not that you haven't gotten it in front of the right magical eyeballs. It's that it might not be remarkable. Right. Yeah. And there's also a giant, you know, you can be remarkable to a hundred or a thousand people and still make a great living. You don't have to be playing stadiums. It doesn't have to be that it's mass appealing to everyone. Sure. And you should absolutely always remember that, you know, if you are going to play, something that's very niche and very focused that's totally okay just get that like if you're going to do baroque pop music that's a very specific type of fan that's going to show up and probably not mass marketable which is okay too right right yeah i agree i think i think you don't need to have this incredibly glitzy over the top kind of story but there does need to be a story there you you know one of these concepts that i keep trying to push is that the the, the way this industry has changed is that we're now no longer just musicians we're channels and if there's nothing to watch on that channel or you know tune in for no reason to tune in we're just we're not going to succeed and 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 there to me there is a degree of personal responsibility there but i think i think anyone who is got any kind of story who is out there living any kind of life worth watching um can even frankly even when the music is maybe not as you know not completely perfect i think it's that channel it's that story that people are tuning in for more and i think there's a path to success for just about every artist so long as they are creating something worth worth tuning in for worth caring about and that goes to me beyond the music i don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah as someone who's seen over 3500 shows <laughs> it's always that show right i mean i was at cmw a couple months ago and i walked into some you know tiny bar and there's like a weird dude from the australian outback he's literally wearing overalls and playing some instrument I've never even seen before. And you could hear a pin drop. Right. Because he was so, he was just speaking, singing about his truth and about, you know, what, what it's like to live in like rural Australia. We were in like a freezing cold night in Toronto. And it was like you couldn't get further away from what this man's reality was to what the evening was about. And there were probably only 25 people in that room. But those were 25 people who were barely breathing because they were so connected to what he was doing. And it was amazing to bear witness to. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, so. uh, Oh, sorry. Did I cut you off? That's what you want to go for, right? No, you just want to. Is that what you're doing? Like, that's what you want to do. Right. Well. You mentioned that you have a checklist. So for all the people listening to this that are kind of going, yeah, I do. I hear what you're saying, and I need maybe a little bit of help. You have an exercise that people can do. They can start filling out 
um, fill, uh, adding information to this checklist, checking off boxes that'll actually, it's, they can take concrete steps to start flushing out their story, flushing out their brand. Is that right? Tell people about this checklist. Uh, I'll put up a link. They can get it at musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash R-E-L, A-R-I-E-L. So again, musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash R-E-L, A-R-I-E-L. E-L, and I'll link to this on the blog post or wherever it is the, that I share the podcast. Um, but tell people about what that is and uh, what, it, what it'll do for them, how they can use it. Yeah, so this is actually a little excerpt from Social Media Tune-Up, my book. And it's called How to Identify and Engage Your Ultimate Fan. Because until you can identify who you want to talk to, it's very, very hard to create a signature story. Because again, you're going back to that fear of like, I must appeal to 2 billion people. No, I must appeal to only the type of person who's going to resonate with what I do. And that's it. So on that page, you're going to find a link to this little very powerful exercise that I put together. It asks a few questions, like probably like 15 questions. And it's like, who's already there? And what is their emotional connection to you? And then how can you increase their engagement? And what it's going to do, it's going to ask you some very pointed questions about who are your fans? Are they male? Are they female? What percentage of the group is or isn't male or female or, or trans or whatever it is? And then you have to ask, are they single? Are they married? Are they young? Are they old? You want to hone in on all of this. What kind of careers do they have? Are they professional? Are they still in school? Are they, you know, you want to know all this. How much money do they make? There's all these questions you want to ask. What do they read? What do they watch? You want to get inside the head of your ultimate fan. Because if you're not doing that, you're probably posting things that they don't care about. Right. And the point here is you want to get to being interesting to all those people. And you can't be interesting to them unless you've decided that they're interesting to you. And the best way to do that is with this crowd ID exercise. It's funny, I'm calling it the crowd ID exercise, but it's really about how to identify and engage the one person in your crowd that you want to talk to. That's the one person that's going to come to the merch booth at the end of the night and talk to you and buy everything and tell their friends about you. That's the person that's going to remark, right? That's mm-hmm. what Seth Godin remark to their friends, bring five people when there used to be only just him right. or her or they. So that's what you're looking for. And this is an exercise that will help you do that through a bunch of questions. And then once you have that, what do they like to do? What do they do for entertainment? All of that then you can begin to put together amazing content online that hones in on just that person and stop talking to 2 billion people and start talking to the one. And once you can talk to the one and the one begins to resonate, that's when you're onto something and that's when you can begin to develop your signature story. Awesome. Awesome. Well, they can check that out. Anyone listening can check that out and and get it for free, right? You're going to share that for for free. Is that correct? That is correct. Cool. At musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash R-E-L. And again, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, Before we go, uh, any final uh, bits of advice, any final words, thoughts uh, before we, we wrap up today? Yes, I would say this. 
for those of you that are out there and are sort of struggling about, I don't have a signature story, I don't know what to do, just, it's like anything. It's like a lot of artists come to me and they say, I just, I only want to make music. I don't want to deal with all this marketing stuff. I don't want to do all this. You have to do all this so that you can have the privilege to make the music that connects with people. If the privilege isn't to connect with people and you just want to make music to make music because it totally turns you on, I make art. I like to make little collages in my bedroom. I don't share them with anyone. This is my personal (laughs) expression. It's like something I enjoy, like cutting. I like the tactical feeling of cutting out the magazines and putting them on. No one sees those. That's my personal way to spend a Sunday. It turns me on. I'm not marketing it. I'm not promoting it. I'm not trying to get people to buy it. That is not why I do that. I do that because that is my creative expression. That's okay. Give yourself permission. You don't have to do all this stuff. Not everything has to have a point of purchase at the end right. of it. Good, po- good point. if you are trying to get out there and get out in front of people and you want more people to hear your music, I highly recommend that you take yourself through the ultimate crowd ID. Find that one ultimate fan and then begin to hone your signature story so that you can feel much better about talking to that one person because when you talk to the one person, it's the ultimate experience because then you're really talking to to the people that will do that Seth Godin remarkable thing that we're all looking for. Right. Need to do a whole episode just just about <laughs> about whining about this job because I hear the you know the same things you do. We're just I hate this marketing. I just want to hire someone. I don't want to I don't want to do it. Um but but the 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 proposition there that somebody's laying out is that they want the coolest job on the planet, you know, to be a rock star but not have to do any of the unpleasant stuff and the Right. I want to be really thin and fit and I don't want to go to the gym. Right. Like I totally totally get it and like because I hate the gym so much, like I really hate it. Like if given my druthers, I will never ever ever never ever 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 work out ever. I hate it. But I know that like if I pay someone and they're standing there, <laughs> I will go to that gym and I have to show up and give it 150%. Right. So that's why you hire John. That's why you hire me. That's why you pay for all this stuff. Then it holds you accountable. Right. You still have to do the work. I still have to lift those damn weights and do those reps and I have to do it every week. It's much as I don't want to, as much as I want to text and be like, I would rather stay in bed today. <laughs> I know that I need to show up. Right. Right, because cause my because my goal is to like not die of a heart attack, right, or to actually look really good when I'm out and about. Right. Like that's my goal. So if your goal is to be seen, you got it. There's no one can work out for you. I hate to tell you this, even if you have the best marketing team in the world, you need to feed them with stories, with moments, with signature stories, with ideas, with the ultimate fan. They can't do that for you. Right. It's a co-creation. That is a great. Uh, that's a great place to to sign off. I think that's the, that's a very important advice. So thanks very much, Ariel. Again, anyone can uh, get this free checklist uh, from musicmarketingmanifesto.com forward slash Ariel. Once more, links in the show notes uh, over on the site. Um, thanks very much. I really really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Music Marketing Manifesto podcast with John Ojaka. If you'd like to learn more music marketing strategies, then go to musicmarketingmanifesto.com. That's musicmarketingmanifesto.com. And sign up for your free copy of the Music Marketing Blueprint.